Reading is taken from James 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the law. Let's pray. Our dear Lord, thank you for bringing us to this point. Thank you for the challenges which you set before us. And we pray that you may open our eyes and hearts to seek you and to live in your way, from this day always. Amen. We are in our second study uh, from the book of James. And um, thank you uh, again, Martin, for reading that to us. James throws down a very real challenge to us this morning. So it's sort of seatbelts on and buckle up for the, the ride Now, perhaps I can just sort of set the scene a little bit, but uh, a month ago, Marion and I went to the um, consecration, I think it was called, of Paul Davis to be the Bishop of Dorking. And it was held in Westminster Abbey. Uh, We happened to have a friend who works there, uh, so we'd contacted her and she said that she would get us some seats, which was marvellous. Uh, and I don't know if you know um, the layout of Westminster Abbey. It's uh, quite a grand place. <clears throat> it's where the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is, so you can picture it. Uh, you can picture um, the uh, coronation uh, and all of the dignitaries that were there in the nave. But then you get this massive screen, about 10 feet wide, deep, with gates going through which close 
to go into the chancel where all the, the choir stalls are, if you can picture those, uh, with the, the seats around the outside, with the almost look like sort of beach huts, all the way around the outside of the, the chancel. So you could sit in the nave and you'd watch everything by television because you can't see inside the chancel. Or you could go into the chancel and then you have a perfect view. Well, Marion and I had travelled up there on the train and there were lots of clergy going up there and we were waving at them and we met our friend outside and we walked in and uh, we waved at our friends who were sitting down thinking, well, this is good. Um, I wonder where we'll be sitting and we kept walking forward and we waved at a few more. We waved at some people who worked for the Diocese of Guildford and we kept walking. And I have to say, my grin was getting bigger and bigger <laughs> until we reached the gate and she started explaining how they'd just had new gold leaf put on them for the coronation. And we thought, oh, it's lovely, she's brought us here to show us the gates. But no. In we walk, through the gates, into the choir stalls, and we had a beach hut to ourselves. <laughs> and we could see everything perfectly. Now, that may be a very poor illustration of what James is trying to say today. But some have preferential treatment. It's not who you know, or rather, it's not what you know, it's who you know that counts. And we had been singled out for special treatment. We were in the best seats in the house. Uh, And that, as I say, is a rather inadequate illustration because we hadn't asked to sit there. Uh, and actually our friend has a permanent beach hut. Um, she is a fellow of the Abbey, so she has a right to sit there all the time. So actually it was just very gracious of her uh, to allow us there. But the picture that James is trying to put across is that for some the experience is good, for some the experience is second best, and sometimes even worse. And it is we that are making that judgment call. Thank goodness we no longer have allocated seating here in church. We no longer have pew rent so that the lords and ladies can sit at the front and the rest of us will sit at the back. James uses the rich as an illustration here Uh, and clearly there was a problem that they were using their wealth and influence to subjugate the others, uh, those who were less well-off. And if all else failed, the rich would take them to court uh, because then, as per now, the poor were unable to defend themselves. But all that said, I think actually this principle can be applied across a very wide range of areas You see, if there was a a pretty lady or an elegant man coming in here, would we treat them differently? If they're well-dressed or we admire their clothes, perhaps they were funny, perhaps they're charming, we would treat them differently. Perhaps if they're young or old or they have a special talent, we want to impress them, whatever it is, we could go on and on. We make judgments on those that we want to impress and those that we want to help, those that we think deserve a better 
uh, experience than others. It's called conscious bias. And when we do it without thinking, it's unconscious bias. But the key phrase between both of those was bias. We make assumptions on who is deserving based on our preconceived ideas and our perceptions. And the world is an ugly place because that's what it's like. One rule for some, a different rule for another. And sadly, it impacts on the church as well. Who came in today looking for the best dressed? The one that's got the aftershave on or the eau de cologne this morning? I'll sit next to them. Did we just look for our friends? We'll sit next to them. Who sat next to the scruffy and the unwashed? I'm not going to pick you out, by the way. I wonder if you sat next to the person that can sing beautifully rather than the one who can't, clearly can't. Will we welcome anyone to the groups that we hold? Anyone. wonder if you're only allowed into the book club if you've got a master's in English. No, of course not. Is that right, Marion? I I didn't realise that. (laughs) Do we invite everyone to communion? Now we're getting to the rubber hits the road moment, aren't we? Or only those that have attended a course? Do we follow a God of overwhelming and inclusive love? Or have we set our own standards by which, and we put God's name to them, by which we run our church? Who sets the rules? God or the church? And that's a really big question. And it goes through everything that we do. Forgive me if I'm being provocative. I'm doing it on purpose. And I exaggerate sometimes in some measure to make the point. But let's not be under any misunderstanding. The point is real. We do make judgments. We are prejudiced. We are partial. Gone are the days when people come to church because it's the thing to do. You know, 40 years ago, uh, you would have been expected to go to church at least once a day, probably twice. Not so now. Not so now. There are so many claims on people's time and energy. And frankly, We live in a world of plenty, of comfort and security. Who needs God? God was there to help. Well, we don't need the help, so who needs God? So why get involved in church life? What makes God appealing? And if church is a mirror of the world outside, where is the difference? What's the reason to come? Is it not largely that the people of God illustrate and we example the countercultural love of God? And that is what is appealing. That is why people come. But if we follow the patterns of the world, there is no definition. We used to say, uh, as the politicians do, don't they, there needs to be clear water. There needs to be clear water between what the world believes and thinks is right and the mind of the Christian. And I think church has been arrogant sometimes 
and in this post-pandemic uh, world and in this society, this cultural moment, in this new territory, we need a new understanding of how we appeal to the general public. Uh, I, I'm sure many of you listen to Radio 4 and uh, I know at least two of us here heard an interview with a Jewish man during the week whose mother had been captured by Hamas. And he said, in these new times, we need new keys. Old keys do not open new doors. And that's a really interesting phrase. Where there is a new situation, a new call upon us, we need new keys, we need a new understanding. We still need the key, we still need God, but we need God in a new way to be doing something new among us. And if we are going to challenge our community to come to the understanding that God's alive and loves them, we need to open that door for a new and living relationship. And the fulcrum of this passage then is around that verse that I read right at the beginning. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself. The royal law being a law written by the king, king of heaven in this case. The same phrase is used in Matthew uh, 22 where Jesus calls it the first and greatest commandment uh, and in the summary of the law which we read at the beginning of our service, it's the second in that summary. And Jesus uses then, from that point in Matthew 22, he goes into the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the priest and the Levite walk by on the other side of the road, and it's the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan, who come and helps. He goes to that messy, broken, damaged body and tends to it. And I look at myself, and I say, am I the priest? that will walk by on the other side of the road? Am I the Levite who couldn't care? Or am I the Samaritan who will bend down, get my hands dirty and show love? And that same Jewish man on the radio (coughs) went on to say, where there is less love shown, the opportunity for hatred to grow increases. And that's another way of saying for evil to prosper it just needs the good people to do nothing. We are the people of God. And if God holds the key to relationship and eternal life why are we keeping the doors closed? We need to open up as many as possible. Because people's hearts are breaking. They're yearning for something. They're seeking a truth. They want to feel loved. They want to feel needed. And we hold the keys of God. And God holds the keys to eternal life. And it needs a new key. That could just be a cup of tea over the garden gate. It is not for us to choose which doors to open and which doors to leave shut. That's God's job. 
Now, we may not think that this is our particular issue. After all, there are bigger issues in the world, and James has thought about that argument. And he says that actually, uh, in every part of the law, or every part of the law is dependent upon every other part of the law. So yes, you may not have showed favouritism this morning. I have actually shown favouritism this morning, and it went badly. But you may have not have shown favouritism. You may not have murdered someone. You may not have committed adultery. You may have been selfish. If that's part of the law, then you've broken the law. It doesn't matter whether it's a big bit or a small bit. You're still a lawbreaker. Romans 6 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's not most, that's all. Life is not segmented, it's a whole. And if we damage one part of our life, we damage our entire relationship. So this passage is not just about the rich, although that is obviously one category that James wants to focus on. And if I want to think about money, I want to come back to faith, because faith has no currency. It's not something you put a price to, at least not in a human sense. Your wealth doesn't get you anything. Your riches are left behind. But the love of God is priceless. It is without price, but so far beyond anything that we can conceive. And that love of God is for everybody. That's what James says in his passage. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. If we are expressing judgment, why do we expect mercy? God is a God of mercy and grace and love. And so it is not for us to judge, it is us to love. That is our role, to bring in, to be inclusive, to bring people to the throne of grace, that they may meet God for themselves. And when they have, God is the judge, not me. We are given many gifts, but those gifts are opportunities Opportunities to share God's love with everyone that we meet. So this passage is about love. It's about being inclusive. The endless, bottomless completeness of God's love. It's about judgment. It's about our judgment and the way we apply it. But it's about the ultimate judgment that is of God. And it's about trust. Because do we trust in God to love everybody? Do we trust in God to bring right judgment? Do we trust God for the promises that he lays before us, that he will indeed love every single one of us completely, deeply, eternally? The role that James gives to us is simply to respond to that love of God which was freely given 
and to live in a way that examples that love so that no one may sit out in the nave. We're all in the chancel together. We have the keys to the door. Let's use them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you this morning knowing that your promises are true. Your word is true for us and has the key, is the key to our eternity. So help us not to keep that for ourselves. Help us not to judge or prejudge, but to be open and inclusive and welcoming and loving. Help us now, Lord, as we come to you and in the days ahead to see those opportunities to share that love of God with those that we meet. In your name we pray. Amen.